Colossians 4, verse 2 through 18. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, David. Let's pray again together. Our Father in heaven, we lift your name higher than our own names. We ask that you would breathe on us your Holy Spirit so that we encounter Jesus Christ afresh. We pray through thick and thin, through suffering and through joy, everything everyone is bringing into this room, through it all, we submit it to you, Jesus, and we ask that you would speak right right to us where you know we need to hear you. As we finish this letter, may we hear your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, today, as uh, as I said, we finish Colossians today. So remember, if you're visiting, Colossians is a letter. If you're new to the Bible, it's a letter written by Paul from prison to this little church that's just growing in this ancient city called Colossae. What's the letter about? how to become mature, spiritually mature in Christ. So it's very timely for us. This is what we want. 
We want to be fully mature in Christ. And you know how you write a letter. How, how many of you have written a handwritten letter in the last year? Or like in 2023. You've written a letter by hand. Be proud in your archaic skills of, <laughs> of kindness and human decency. This is great. A lot of, a lot of old school, hand, handwritten letter people in here. So I, I just wrote, I just finished, I wrote a whole card, like all the way through with words <laughs> in a card uh, recently. And it was fun. It was like, oh my gosh. And what happens when you get to the end? What do you feel? You're like, oh, the ending has to really count because this is my hand and my ink. Has to, it has to say what I really want to say. And that's exactly what Paul's doing right now. It's the end. And he even picks up the pen at the end, the very end. Because most of this, all the rest of this letter is probably dictated to a, a, a amanusis, which is a, a person that just listens to you and, and writes down what you say. But at the end, Paul goes, give me that pen. Um, so, so here's the basic message. This is what Paul wants to say at the end. He says, for the maturity you want, commit to prayer. And for the security you long for, commit to community. Simple as that. This is what he wants to leave this precious church with. And let's be honest, we find a million excuses not to pray today. Like, not, this, not, not right now. Find a million excuses not to be vulnerable in community. We can find all the reasons in the world. But at the end of the day, Paul wants us to know there is no path to spiritual maturity other than regular prayer. And there's no path to true security other than vulnerability in community. There's isn't. And this is Paul's ending note in this letter. So we're going to go in two parts. The first part, we're going to look at the prayer chunk. And then the last part, we're going to look at Paul's people. And he shows us his family. He's like, this is my people. I want you to see my people that are living in mature, they're living mature lives. They're living in community. And, and so he, he has these two sections. He names names, and it's really beautiful. But first, let's, let's see what he says about prayer and maturity. So right here, verse two, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. And then those four verses, the first four, they really beat on that drum. Pray, pray, pray. He says three times. And then verses five and six, here's the result of pray, pray, pray. In other words, your prayers fuel your maturity. This is how you are wired. Your prayers fuel your maturity. And what does maturity look like? Look at verse 5. It, it, mean, it looks like acting wisely, making the most of your time, and then speaking with grace. Your words are gracious. In a translation, be mature. How? The only path to true maturity is prayer. A regular prayer rhythm. So then the question becomes, verse 2, are you devoted to prayer? Are you? Not just do you agree in your head that prayer is a good thing, but do you actually pray? What does your prayer rhythm look like? This is the first thing to consider, and hopefully the last thing in this talk. What does your prayer rhythm look like? According to Paul, prayer is the path to the life you long for. And what is that life that we long for? Like belonging, yes, maturity, because maturity leads to security, because we trust that one another are mature. 
This is where true belonging and forgiveness and vulnerable relationships, they're just built in. We just expect that we walk into a community group night and we're just, this is gonna be vulnerable and welcoming and belonging. We want this. And it's also a given, none of us are perfect here. It's a given. And honestly, probably we're gonna have moments of misunderstanding each other and, and hurting each other unintentionally. And sometimes we'll actually want to hurt each other. <laughs> Probably, maybe, when we're really mad. But at, but at the end of the day, when it's a mature, secure community, we understand that there's a commitment to listen and find healing in our relationships and forgiveness in our hearts from God, like forgiving our sins. So this kind of security, it becomes possible when we're really maturing in God's love for us through committed lives of prayer. So Paul ends this letter by tying, tying this thread all together. Here it is. Prayer makes maturity possible, and then maturity makes vulnerable community possible, and then that vulnerability makes security a reality for you. This is what we want most. I think this is what we want most, what our city wants most. And Paul knows this. He actually says this is why he writes the letter in the first place. Back in chapter one, he says his purpose. He says, Jesus, he is the one we proclaim. Why? How do we proclaim him? Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And you guys, I wanna say, that's like kind of a life verse for me as a pastor. This is why I, Evan, am in this thing. This is why I'm here, and I'm not giving up. I hear stories of my friends and passive mentors, guys that have mentored me from a distance being investigated and falling, and I'm like, they're not in this, and I start to get discouraged. Like, what is, what is going on in the world? And then I remember, oh, this is why I'm in this thing. This is why, this is why Sandy and me and my kids planted Park Hill Church. It's why we're staying in this thing called pastoring and teaching and raising up teams and leaders. It's because we are passionate about the love of Jesus flooding your lives and then flowing out to the city through your life. This is why I'm in this. In, uh, so, so my wife and I have spent a couple decades in this county Minus the four years in Portland where we were trained to come back and plant this church directly. But since our teens, you guys, we're like in youth ministry and worship leading. So about 12 years ago, we realized as we're living here in San Diego, we're supposed to establish a church here. A church that, and we had a vision. We had some, some priorities that we wanted, like boxes to tick. We wanted, a church, we wanted to plant a church that takes the scriptures and community seriously and takes the gifts of the Holy Spirit seriously. A church that isn't afraid of the hard questions and doubt, like where else will we go with our hunger for truth, which is our doubt? Where are we gonna go? The church, of course, a church for that. And a church that prioritizes prayer and worship in simplicity, like no flashy hype, no big building plans. I mean, I don't know if a building, a 24-7 building is ever in our future. Um, I, we're not like aspiring to that. We don't even have a stage right now, you guys. We're just on the vinyl floor, you know? No flashy hype, uh, just a simple commitment to build our lives around practicing Jesus' teachings together in San Diego by the Spirit's power. Uh, why? 
so that God's kingdom would come. Just like it's coming when Jesus, when Jesus returns, the kingdom's fully here. But as the church lives by the power of the Spirit in simplicity, we, get an, we, we become an advanced sign of coming kingdom attractions. The fruit of the Spirit right here. This maturity thing, the security thing, this is all how to be an advanced sign of heaven on earth. And so that the next 10 generations of Jesus followers, let's say Jesus doesn't come back for 12 generations, the next 11 generations might be experiencing Jesus a little bit more because of our lifetime of work here in this city. This is why we're in this. This is why I'm here. Um, and how, what am I doing to that end? Well, in Paul's words, I'm admonishing and teaching you. I'm, I'm pointing out as best I can with a team how not to live, sin, so we avoid that and flourish, and how to live, how to thrive in the way of Jesus, admonishing and teaching. Why? So that we may present every one of you fully mature in Christ. That's the goal here. This, and by the way, this is why next week, uh, Sandy and I are getting away to our annual retreat. We go to a monastery in the New Mexican deserts every year where we just hang out with a bunch of monks for like 48 to 72 hours. And, and it's this beautiful place, like four hours north of Albuquerque. The, the driveway to get to this place is 13 miles long off of a already, you're already in the middle of nowhere, and then you go more into nowhere. And, and why do we do that? It's for, it's for vision. My wife, my wife and I get away to pray, in Paul's words, to, con, to, to strenuously contend, to pray for vision for the next calendar year. So this, this coming Sunday, when David Wade launches the Jonah series, we'll be on a plane to the land of enchantment, you know, New Mexico, where, where, we, where we will then begin praying for 2024. And then the plan is to come back from, from, the, from the monastery and then bring to the elders what we're sensing. And then the elders, Luis and Erica, Matt and Aaliyah and Matthew Ruffet, they kind of hear our heart and they add vision, they add wisdom, they push and pull and we pray together in June. And that's how we plan for the following calendar year, every year. And, and it's arduous and it's hard and it takes time. Why are we doing this? It's for your maturity. This is why we're doing this. For my maturity too. Our spiritual maturity. And so what will that look like? Let's say we're maturing. We're, we're, we're getting the goal accomplished. What does that look like? Well, it looks like you and me acting and reacting like Christ. And this will become more natural for us by the Spirit's power. Automatic. It becomes our nature. Christ-likeness where we more naturally turn the other cheek and be generous. And if someone says, hey, will you help me go one mile? You'd be like, no, but I can go two, like Jesus says. Or if someone curses you, you bless them back. Or if someone does evil to you, you don't do evil back, you do good. So maturity is where that all flows from your life more naturally, automatically. This is the goal of prayer. It all starts in prayer, and it flows into the community. Remember the metaphor from the first Colossians series teaching. Remember the metaphor of teaching my teenager to drive? I don't know if you were here like 12, 13 weeks ago. But when I teach my teenagers to drive, they're a little nervous. And I'm like, I forgot how complicated driving is. There's so much to this. Like, I, why? I forget because I do it naturally. It's so in my body. 
that I know where the blinkers are, how to check my mirrors, and how to look to the left and with the lane change at going 70 miles an hour or whatever. And all that stuff is second nature. 65, I mean. Just kidding. <laughs> because I'm a mature driver. <laughs> 70 was a joke. <laughs> but I, I know there are people who go 70. So, so I still have my moments. I still have my moments. I have a handful of speeding tickets over the last 25 years. But the vast majority of time, I get in the car and I get to my goal in a mature way. Why? Because I, I am a fully mature driver. It's in my body now. So in a very similar way, the goal of your life, our lives as a church family, is that Christ would be so fully formed in us that his teachings are lived out. They, they, just, they just flow out. When we're tested, that's what comes out by the power of the Spirit. And I'm, so that's our money, with our money, our sexuality, our goals and ambitions, and our work and our rest, where all these things are, they are aligned with Jesus, even to the point where our motives aren't selfish. Like, I'm not even bragging about this. It's just what I do. No one's like, you have no idea how mature I was at driving from my house to this church building. Like, no one brags about how they drive safely, um, hopefully, but, but the same thing, like, you know, none of you want to, it's not, I, I, you won't believe, I'm so shocked how generous I was this month toward my church. No, you just, the goal is that you just are generous, or, or, you're, just, or you're just sexually faithful to Jesus, because your default mode is to get intimacy, not from sex, but in vulnerable, godly community, because sexual faithfulness has become natural in your community, or generosity has become natural. This is maturity. Just like the driving metaphor, you get it. You're just, it's just life in the kingdom. So as followers of Jesus, this is the goal. This is the purpose of our lives. Now, I, I asked the following question at our first Colossians teaching. I'm going to check back on this last one. Let's see by a show of hands if this Colossians series, these 12 weeks of teachings on maturity, have fully completed the work of maturity in your life and you've arrived at Christ-likeness now? How many of you would say that you've arrived at Christ-likeness? This, this series didn't work? That's, so no, obviously, that's not a surprise. No one, no one has arrived. No one's reached sinless perfection. Not surprising, and that's the point. This is why there's this, bread and cup, worship, teaching, Bread, the bread Bible reading plan and house of learning and seek for Sunday and the prayer rhythms you have. That's why we need this. In his final words, Paul wants the church to know mature Jesus followers are people who pray and witness with joy because prayer leads to maturity and maturity leads to vulnerability and vulnerability makes security possible. In this way, you guys, we become an attractive compelling witness to Christ's love in our city. I want that kind of belonging. Isn't that what you most deeply want? My friends, this is why we're here. And it all flows from Christ formed in you and me. Which brings us to the second part of this teaching. And it's the last part of Paul's letter. It's his farewell where he names names. Paul's like, you gotta see my family. You gotta know my people. They're incredible. They're actually doing this letter. They're doing it. Uh, I want you to know my people and celebrate how gifted they are, how faithful they are. They're stories of forgiveness. And you know what that is? You know what Paul's doing here? He's like, look at my family. Look how faithful. Let me tell you about my family. 
What, what he's doing is what you're supposed to do with your family. You're supposed to be like, hey, look, hey, this is what the mature, secure family of Jesus does. We publicly celebrate what God's doing in each other's lives. We, we tell each other's spiritual success stories. We celebrate. Instead of just telling our own, we tell others. This is actually what the church has done for thousands of years. That's why they have, in the in Anglican and Catholic churches, they have the feast days, feast of St. Stephen, feast of St. So-and-so, feast of, and they tell the story of faithfulness. Love that. It's beautiful. And so who's first in Paul's list of names? This guy, Tychicus. Look at verse 7. Very weird name, Tychicus. But uh, he's, or, or in Greek, Tukakos. So Paul can't wait for the church to get to know Tychicus. He's a dear brother. He's faithful minister, servant. He's like, Tychicus will absolutely give you guys the good news because he's a natural-born encourager. You, you will love hearing from him. You guys are going to love him. And then the next, next guy, verse 9, and Tychicus is coming with Onesimus. And Paul calls Onesimus our faithful dear brother who is one of you. That's explosive. Why? Because we know something about Onesimus. If you know the New Testament pretty well, you know there's a book about him. Onesimus was a slave. In the book of Philemon, it's this little one-pager at the end of the New Testament. Philemon. Long story short, Philemon was a slave owner who owned Onesimus, the slave. Onesimus runs away from Philemon, the slave owner. Then Philemon, the slave owner, becomes a Christian and gives up this slave-owning thing. And Philemon joins the little church plant in Colossae. Paul gets to know that he's there. Meanwhile, the runaway slave Onesimus runs into Paul. And Onesimus becomes a Christian too. So Paul's like, this could be beautiful. So Paul writes a letter to Philemon, the former slave owner, turned Christian, to encourage Philemon to welcome Onesimus back into his house. What? No, as a equal, as a brother in Christ. He uses that explicit word. It's this beautiful story of liberation, reconciliation. Paul literally bakes abolition into his letters. And so, and so now in the end of Colossians, at the ending, Paul's reminding them who Onesimus is. He's like, hey, you guys are the secure community of Jesus. So guess what that means? Onesimus is no longer slave status. He is a dear brother. And he specifically goes out of his way to say he's one of you. He's one of you. So welcome. Onesimus is coming. Remember, he's one of you. And it's almost like, or else I'm coming for you, Paul says. You know, he's one of you. And this new identity is a beautiful thing for Onesimus. But guess who else this is beautiful for? Philemon, the former slave owner, the big businessman. He was just going with the flow of culture. Totally normal to hold slaves if you can afford them in that day. But you know what Philemon does? He changes his mind against the flow of popular opinion. You guys, that is no small thing. That is no small thing. He changes his mind about slaveholding and about power dynamics in ancient Rome. And instead of welcoming Onesimus back to punishment as a subordinate, he welcomes Onesimus back as a brother to the point where now 
the church has a tradition of remembering them as partners. Look at this from a Catholic liturgy. Let us honor the priestly preachers and honorable teachers Philemon and Onesimus. They rooted out the cunning of idol worship by preaching and planted the knowledge of truth. Partners. Partners. The freedom. Family. Maturity. Security. You guys, this is our family history. 2,000 years. You guys, we have so many stories like this of forgiveness and healing and so much beauty. Of course, there are truly horrific stories in the, in the life of the church. Horrific moments of abuse. And those moments honestly get a lot of airtime today, I would say, in a culture that's already kind of leaning against conservative Christianity. So we want to tell the truth. We want to tell the truth. We want to tell both stories, whatever's true, right? And so we want to tell the truth about the failures of church leaders and the, the abuses of church leaders who failed to love like Jesus. And we mourn the stories of church abuse and hurt because we want to learn from mistakes and do better. At the same time, we also want to tell the truth about the many, many stories of forgiveness and liberation and healing and how the church corrected itself in the face of abuse. Self-sacrificial love that makes the body of Christ beautiful champion those stories too. And the truth, all the truth will set us free. You guys, by naming Onesimus here in his closing statements, Paul is doubling down on the liberating, justice-bringing, forgiveness-dealing nature of the secure community of Christ. This is who we are called to be. So keep reading. These names keep coming. My fellow prisoner, he talks about Aristarchus, Mark, and, and this guy, Justice, and, and he's almost, Paul's just like, and Aristarchus says hi from jail. He's with me. He's cool. He says hi from jail, and Mark and Justice say hi. Apparently, they're in jail, too. He's like, we're cool. Hey. And then he says this statement, um, these are the only Jews among my coworkers for the kingdom of God, and they've been really good to have around. So what does that mean for us? This is powerful. You know what this means? Paul is finding kingdom comfort in his ethnic group. He's in a tough time and he's finding comfort in in his ethnic group identity. You might be like, wait, 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 Paul. Didn't you say in chapter three that the gospel doesn't discriminate based on ethnicity? Paul's like, yep. And... I still very much feel a sense of identity and association with my fellow Jews. I need my family right now. I need my Jews. I need my people. I'm Jewish. They're Jewish. We need our, like, my people right now. Paul's like, ethnic Jews are, are my people. They're my group. So what does this mean? Paul's both fully open to multi-ethnic church, and he still identifies with his ethnic group. You guys, do you see what this means? In other words, Paul is not remotely colorblind for the kingdom or whatever. He's like, I'm Jewish, and my goodness, my Jewish family around me is so comforting right now. Okay, elephant in the room. I'm a white guy who has lived basically my whole life in dominant white spaces. So this feeling of needing to find comfort within my ethnic group, that's like a foreign feeling for me. I've never not had that. That's something I just never had to think about, finding comfort within an ethnic identity. You guys, 
This is a big reason why our church has a race and belonging cohort in our church, an invite-only space for mostly people of color to pray together, share their experiences with each other with, within our church, not separate, within our church, with the broader goal of making our whole church more aware of what Paul is saying here, that the gospel doesn't discriminate based on identity. All identities equally invited to submit to Christ and receive the new identity, loved child of God. And, and, at the same time, this openness and inclusiveness, it doesn't erase any kind of group identity. It actually fills it with grace. It doesn't erase, it engraces that secondary ethnic group or whatever else. Do you, you guys, I want us to feel this. I'm a truly mature, this is all about maturity. So a truly mature and secure church, a secure church is a church that can do two things at once. Number one, celebrate the multi-ethnic family. And number two, see and honor minority groups in the room. Both. A truly mature church knows how to do both equally well. To celebrate the multi-ethnic family of God and see and honor the minority groups in the room. And of course, we do both of these things imperfectly, but we want to grow in this. We don't just want this to happen randomly. We want this to happen intentionally by the power of the Spirit. Because Paul's like, hey, as a minority Jew in a majority Roman space, I am so glad I have my Jewish people with me right now. I'm not going to lie. This prison is awful. This is what happens in the mature family of Jesus. Who knew that we could learn so much from a list of farewells and names. It's powerful. So next, next, let's keep going. Verse 12, he says, Epaphras. And then he shouts out to Luke and Demas. But he doesn't say anything about them, so we're not gonna. But Epaphras. So, so this guy is a huge example of what this whole letter is about. Um, Paul's like, Epaphras is the goal. This man is the message. Watch his life. Why? He's always agonizing in prayer for you. That's the Greek word there, agonizing. His guts are, are wrenched. He feels your feelings when he prays for you. He feels your, he mourns with you from a distance and he, and he laughs with you from a distance. Why? Why does he pray for them? Look why, it's the point of the book. So they may stand firm at the will of God, mature and fully confident, fully assured. You guys, that, that's the goal of this whole thing so that you may be mature and secure as a loved child of God. And he puts the will of God in there because guess what? As we are mature and secure in Christ, we will find the will of God for our lives. In fact, this is the will of God for our lives. The will of God for your life is less about who you will marry or whether you will marry or where you'll go to school or work or move where you'll move. So that's very much not as much what the, word, what the will of God for your life is about. The will of God for your life is like 98% more about what kind of person you're becoming wherever you go, whoever you end up marrying or not. Do you understand this? This is huge. This is the will of God for your life, your maturity. Um, it's powerful. And Epaphras knew this, and the mature church of God knows this. This is, this is powerful. So, and then verse 15, he, this one is spicy. I like this one. So he says, he says, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So interesting. 
Paul greets Nympha, and literally, it could either, in Greek, it could either say Nympha and her house church, or Nympha and the church in her house. The language is almost, it could be either one. This, this raises so many questions for me. I don't know about you. Who is this woman? What was her role in this church? Was she something like an, a leader or an, or an overseer, maybe a pastor or an elder? And so right away, I, we, can't, we can't know for sure. We don't know for sure. There's a lot. There's a, you can't infer a ton out of one sentence, um, especially with words like elder and stuff because those words aren't in there. But listen, uh, and yeah, so I think we can come to a reasonable view. I think we can actually come to the most reasonable view, and, and I'm going to put it before you here. Some assume Nympha was basically just the lady with the checkbook, basically just the generous donor behind the Laodicean church, right? She'd like cut the checks and, and open the door and roll out the carpet and cook the food. Um, but I'm not so sure, mainly because Paul doesn't call her the word for that, which is patron. There's plenty of other patrons of churches in the New Testament. And he does not say she is a patron. She's not just the underwriter. You know, uh, other places Paul talks about women's households where the churches meet, like Chloe's household, or in Acts, there's Lydia's household. But Paul doesn't say Nympha's household and the church that meets there. He doesn't say that. It's a, different, it's a different wording. In this specific verse, Paul goes out of his way to say, Nympha and her house church, or Nympha and the church in her house, the assembly in her home. Uh, what does this mean? Again, we can't be 100% sure, but I think the most reasonable reading of this verse in context of the whole New Testament is that Nympha was both the patron and the pastor of the church at Laodicea both the supporter and the shepherd, both. And why does this matter? Why does this matter? <laughs> Talking about a mature church. Well, half this room, you women, feel why this matters right now. Um, because this, this is what maturity and security looks like. It's men and women leading together alongside each other as spiritual mothers and fathers over the healthy brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the number one metaphor for the church in the New Testament, even more than the word church. It's brothers and sisters and, and, and their spiritual parents over this family, leading the family toward maturity and security. So that's a big deal, um, but we got to keep going. Here's verse 16, the last three lines of the book. He says this, and after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. He's probably talking about Nympha, uh, reading over the Laodiceans, because he just mentioned her. Um, so this one little verse, it sets a huge precedent, huge precedent. What's the precedent here? It means all Paul's letters are meant for all the churches. This is why we can read a letter to a church in ancient Turkey as meaningful for a church in modern America. He's like, hey, the letter I wrote to you, make sure those churches get it. And all those churches' letters, make sure you get those and just circulate and, and follow Jesus. This is why we take these letters as Christ's authority, written to other churches as letters for every church as scripture. 
I'll say it again. It was written to specific churches as a letter for every church as scripture. That's how that works. And that's how the church has always read these. It's a gift. It's a huge gift from Jesus that he's given us his voice in this way. Um, And then, second to last line. You guys are almost done with Colossians. How does it feel? Second to last line. uh, Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. Immediately, I have other questions. Like, who is this guy and how does that help my life? I don't know an Archippus. You can't literally live this out unless you know an Archippus, maybe. But I doubt this is the Archippus you know, because he's a long time ago. So, so how, do we, how do we do this verse? This is puzzling. Um, what was his work that he stopped doing? Maybe he's discouraged. What's he, what is he putting down that he should be taking up? And now we get to the answer. Who is Archippus? What was his work? Here's the answer. It doesn't matter. Who do you know who's discouraged from their work? Who do you know who God clearly called? And they shared you that dream and their dream is, feels dead to them. Who's, who's the archipus in your life? It, Paul wants this whole, look, Paul's not private. He doesn't send a private archipus letter. He tells the whole church and he says, read this in every church that I want the whole church to get around this one guy and encourage him. Who's the one girl or guy that God is calling all of Park Hill to get around? Or maybe your whole community, just reaffirm that dream, that desire that came from God. Who is that person in your life? Because this means the mature church takes responsibility for each other. So who, who, who is this? Who's been directed by God to do something, carry out a calling? Maybe they need to pick up that writing gift or that teaching gift or just verbalize to their church, hey, I feel called to the ministry. I feel called to pastoring. Or, or maybe it's nothing like, like it's an it's a app. It's like, a, it's like an app I was developing that I really felt God calling me to, to like introduce to the marketplace and I just got discouraged. Or maybe it's your songwriting or poetry or that business idea you had or degree program or actually a church plant. Who knows? Who is this person coming to mind? Not you. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm wanting you to think of that person. <laughs> Who is the archipus? Listen, as the mature, secure church of Jesus, we have a stake in seeing that member of the body become fully functional in his or her gifting. Paul has no interest in an individualistic faith that's just me and Jesus. No, our gospel mission is simply too big and too important for believers not to get involved when one of us feels intimidated, reluctant, lazy, or just plain stubborn. So who is the Holy Spirit leading you to encourage in their calling this week? Invite the Spirit, beg the Spirit to give you a face. And then obey. And then last but not least, the final line of Colossians. Paul grabs the pen and he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand to add some weight, gravitas. People are like, oh, Paul wrote that part. He's the apostle. He represents Jesus. His authority is Christ's authority. That's what it means to be an apostle. And then he, and then he has two, two final words, two like 
Shocker sentences, power sentences. You have that next slide. Two things. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Paul has these power lines at the end of his letters. And in a way, it sums up the whole letter. Remember my chains. You guys, remember my chains. That's not just like, remember how bad I have it in this prison. Pray for me on Tuesday morning at your prayer meeting. That's not, that's not what this means. This is more like a call to action. I know it's a horrible context. It's a horrible war that was fought, but I immediately think of Texas history. And, and rem, you know that phrase, remember the Alamo? You know, very, very sad part of American history very, in so many ways. But what, did that, what was the point of that awful statement? Remember the Alamo, what was the point? It was to, write, it was to call people to action in their chests. And, and the, remember the Alamo, that's violent and, and a ho- horrible war. This is the opposite. This is a nonviolent, beautiful, give me, give me grace for my suffering so that my weakness makes Christ look beautiful in the world. So remember my chains means let's go. Let's advance. Let's recognize the glory of God at work in life of me, the suffering apostle. The imprisoned apostle. Remember my chains this is a lot like, remember the prison doors for Wang Yi. So Paul is in prison. Wang Yi is in prison right now in 2018. A Presbyterian Chinese underground pastor imprisoned in 2018 because the Chinese government didn't like how outspoken he was becoming about how Jesus is the true king, president, and emperor of all, pol- all political governments. And as he began speaking the true gospel, not just this ethereal, Gnostic, floaty, Jesus just cares about souls and not how we do politics. No, Jesus is the true governor of governments. And even Chinese government, even American government, Sudanese government, the Commonwealth government of the UK, every government will be upon his shoulders and submit to him in the last day. And the Chinese did not like this, as no government would necessarily love this because Jesus confronts all governments. And they imprisoned him. Now he's in prison. You can pick up his story. You can pick up his Remember My Chains story. Right now on Amazon, it's called Faithful Disobedience. And as you read these pages, you're reading speeches and essays that he wrote as a really well-known journalist turned from atheism to Christianity. And he published these speeches and documents that got him in hot water. And you can read them in a book compiled by another author. And, and, and I highly recommend you do because this is, this is something we don't know. You guys, we don't find joy in suffering in our culture. We find joy in comfort. But Paul's saying, remember my chains, find joy in suffering. Don't find suffering. It will find you. And when, don't, finding suffering on purpose is just masochism. Don't do that. But when suffering finds you, find joy in suffering Instead of finding joy and comfort, because we're addicted to comfort, it's anesthetizing us, it's numbing us. Our comfort is actually killing us quietly and invisibly, our spirits. So Paul's like, remember my chains. Remember my chains. And, and in order to remember the chains, you know what you need? You need grace with you. Remember my chains, and when you realize, oh, there's joy to be found in suffering, you will need grace. Grace is with you. Grace be with you. Grace come to you. More. There's already a lot. May there be more. 
So there you have it, you guys. Paul's mature, secure family. He's so proud of his family. He shows you these names like a proud big brother, like a proud dad. And he wants us to pay attention and to do what they did. So what, what, is it, what, what does this mean for us? We already talked about, you know, Archippus, find someone to encourage. But what does this really mean for our souls, your soul? Can you put that next slide up? He, he starts with these commands. So I want to make a comment on this. Let's end where we began. Listen, the only way to maturity is regular prayer. The only path to security is vulnerable community. That's it, you guys. There's no shortcut. And so devote yourselves to prayer. How? What's your daily rhythm like? Do you pray daily alone? Weekly rhythm in community groups praying together. Monthly on the first Sundays of the month right here in this building. We have these rhythms. We, we strongly encourage these rhythms in your life. Because that's where maturity is born. And then... Act wisely. This is maturity. Act wisely toward outsiders. Who are the outsiders? People who are not yet inside the covenant community of Jesus. There is a a distinguishing line, and it is trusting in Jesus. There's there's a distinguishing line of insider-outsider language when it comes to the community of Jesus. And it's trust in Jesus that requires repentance of sin. Lord, is there anything in me that doesn't align with you. If there is, show me and I will change. That's the requirement. Act wisely to those who have not yet made that decision and are not yet living in line with Jesus. Act wisely. Don't don't act unwisely. There's plenty of that on social media already of Christians acting unwisely with their mouths and their lips seasoned with poison instead of seasoned with grace. Don't do this. For God's sake, for the kingdom's sake, don't speak with poison, speak with grace, um, which might mean just avoiding socials altogether because no one, grace doesn't tickle the algorithm, you know? Po- poison does. So, so what does that mean? So how do we act wisely? By making the most of, every, by, by making the most of your time. You know what this means? Do you realize your time is gift? And your spiritual gifts are timely for right now. Both. The mature family of Jesus realizes, oh my gosh, my time is gift. And my gifts, they're timely for right now. I'm going to nurture my gifts. I'm going to listen. If I'm Archippus, if I'm lazy, if I'm not following the gift God gave me, I'm going to listen when my family comes around me this week and says, hey, I want to encourage you. In that thing that you said Jesus told you to do, because it's going to be beautiful, I'm going to act like my gift is timely. So, so I'm, going to, I'm going to put two quotes up on the screen from two guys named John, John Tyson and John Piper, very different Johns. But first one, John Tyson, he says this way, Satan's great plan for you is not that you deconstruct your faith and then write a blog about it. His plan for you is that you would have an apathetic, lazy faith where he doesn't even have to bother with you. Just edge you into apathy. Done. Easy. He doesn't even have to lift a finger anymore. Because your joy is your comfort. 
You, you've, you don't have joy in suffering. You don't, the suffering isn't testing you well and you're not being found worthy in the suffering. You're addicted to comfort. That's easy. You're, you're, you're done. And here's from Piper, speaking like only he can. Um, he says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not that X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it's a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. Jesus says that in Luke 14. He, te- he tells a parable. He's like, follow me. And in the story, Jesus is like, there's a man I called to follow. And one said, you know, I just have to make sure that my piece of land sells. I have this business. I got it. Jesus is like, all right, you're not going to follow me. Follow me. And Jesus isn't saying these are bad things. The oxen, a wife, a marriage, the piece of land, they're not bad things. They're great things. But anything great and good can take the place of Jesus in your life when you actually allow it to shape your deepest affection. It becomes an idol. You haven't made the most of your time. You're fully distracted. Anything good can become a distraction from Jesus. How do you know? How do you know when something so wonderful is becoming a distraction? This is the maturity piece. Start with prayer. Move into community and maturity and vulnerability. Be open in the church and there will be light. So so it's the simple pleasures of earth. Simple pleasure. Good stuff that distracts us from hungering for the full maturity of heaven. I'll say that again. It's the simple pleasures of earth that distract us from hungering for the full maturity of heaven. You know, you know what it's like? It's like, oh, hey, you know, I got this great new job or this new upstart business, but it's, it's like 86 hours a week and it's taking me from church stuff right now. Or maybe it's like, hey, I got this new girlfriend or boyfriend, and they go to a different church community, so we don't quite know where to go right now, so we're just kind of, when we can, we're going online. Maybe some of you are like, dang, Evan, you're too specific today. (laughs) Why are you so specific? I understand. So the point, here's the point. How do we become the mature family of God? Make the most of every opportunity. Make space for prayer and community. So we can make sure it's the word and the spirit shaping me instead of the unintentional binges on Netflix shaping me. Um, you know, I, some, I sometimes, when I, when, I, when I preach against binging on Netflix, I think I'm exposing like the preacher's besetting sin. You know, the, the preacher often harps on the thing that they're actually wrestling with, you know? It's just true. And so it's, it's, it's such a subtle plan. Like, like my wife and I are really into this, this, that rescue, it's like an emergency room New York show on Netflix right now. So good. And it seems so good to see. It's like so hell, it's like you're watching people be healed and the people on the, 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 the medical professionals just in the, getting their hands dirty and healing. And then, and then what you don't realize is these things are produced perfectly well with psychologists partnering with entertainment specialists to, to master the cliffhanger, which then, which then you can't not just let that little bar fill all the way up so the next episode starts. You can't not. <laughs> these things are, are meticulously designed 
to, to, to own you, to distract you, to shape you. It's such a subtle plan of Satan. It's a good thing. Doctors and medical workers, it's great, but it slowly dismantles my maturity because it keeps me from making the most of my time and that was so that I might live and speak and, and actually invest in maturity and security as a child of God in the world, which is why we're here. So our church, we have, we have open doors for you. We have doors for you to walk through, intentionally forming you. You have these things, House of Learning. You guys, this month is going to be amazing. Josh Porter is going to bring it. And by the way, for I, I don't know if I said this in the announcement, but um, one of the things we plan to do at this House of Learning is to have, to like, to post, to write out some of the most popular pushbacks to Christianity from TikTok. And so we're going to just put them up on the screen. And over a meal in discussion groups, like, hey, this this pushback to Christianity is very, very viral on TikTok. It seems like a really good question. What do you think, guys? What would you say? And we'll just openly discuss. Where else would you discuss this in the most healthy way other than the community of God? So, so we're going to have several TikTok theology, TikTok theology, we'll call it. And then Josh will come up and me and Josh will kind of banter and give our response and all of that. Um, this is, this is, be wise in how you act so you might know how to answer everyone. Um, and seek for Sunday. Come and pray. Bread, are you reading? How, how many blank pages do you have from January to April in your bread book? Uh, that's okay. It's a new day. We all have a ton of blank pages in our bread book. We haven't, you know, if you don't know what it is, it's the journal of daily readings. We've, we've missed days. But tomorrow's April 16th or whatever it is. April 17th. And, uh, and so let's, let's read the scriptures. Let's get back in the scriptures together. And then biblicaltraining.org. Have you been to that website? Literally free world-class seminary at different difficulty and moderate levels of learning. It's amazing. Free. And then community discussion. Hopefully you've been able to join a community group. Here's the point. Last slide. For the maturity you long for, pray. Christ has made the way open to the Father through his death and resurrection and giving of the Holy Spirit so that you are now connected to God in relationship with him. Pray. Step into prayer and step into heaven. Step into maturity. And then for the security you long for, step into community. I know community can be tough, especially if you've been hurt in church relationships. I say this a lot because it's true. The only place for healing of church hurt is in church relationships. The only place for healing in relation, relational wounds is through relationships. And so um, come. And if, and if you have trouble, we have a pastoral team that would love to talk to you about your troubles with, with the idea of being in relationship with other Christians. We have pastors who are trained to actually talk with you and work with you. So, so, so right there. There's a couple actionables. What would it look like for you to take the next step toward that? And we're done with Colossians. All done. So, <laughs> next, next week, next stop, book of Jonah. Um, but, but before then, right now, I'd love to have us stand. And if there's anything 
that resonated in your heart, like, oh my gosh, I would love prayer for that. Maybe it's, you just love prayer to fall back in love with prayer. Maybe that's it. I love what uh, Pete Gregg says about prayer. He's like, I don't love prayer. I, I hate prayer. I kick against prayer. I just pray all the time because I love Jesus so much. <laughs> and if that's what you need, a fresh love for Jesus, as evidenced by prayer, let us pray for you. Let's begin it in prayer. Feel free to come forward right now as Drew sings. Holy Spirit, would you come now and wash us with your love, reveal your goodness, and heal us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.